this is Jiro Taylor here, the host of the Flow State Performance Podcast. Today, I'm interviewing um, an amazing man, a very intelligent, insightful, intuitive man who has uh, created a body of work called Emotional Anatomy. And uh, this guy is Chris Knight. He's a friend of mine. Uh, we recently spent an awesome evening together around a fire, camping out um, in nature, um, having a lot of laughs, doing some breath work, getting into some very interesting states of consciousness. And um, I'm excited today to bring you this conversation um, with him. We go through some amazing stuff, um, ranging from um, how to deal with um, religious conditioning as a child, uh, transcending the polarities of good and bad and right and wrong, um, right through to a very detailed understanding of the chakra system and, and how energy works, um, and, and even a, a, a section on um, Donald Trump, um, Kim Il-jong, and, and uh, why potentially the threat of nuclear annihilation could be the most amazing thing to be going on right now. Um, anyway, just before we drop into this, why don't you share one deeply conscious restorative breath with me? I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here today with Chris Knight, who's the uh, creator of Soul Space in Brisbane and the founder of Emotional Anatomy. Um, talk to me, Chris. Um, tell me a little bit about, first of all, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm in a nice relaxed state at the moment had a bit of time off so yeah it was really good timing to have this this chat with you actually over this week so mm, awesome but before yeah. before actually just a we, we get into allowing the listener to uh, understand your your work and your passions and what your life looks like um i'll just give some background into how chris came into uh, my realm um so Chris has, has has trained and worked with and is good friends with, with, with a few of my very good friends. Um, and so there's been this sort of awareness in me for a while of, of who he is and the work he's doing. And, and there's been this almost like this knowing that that uh, our paths are going to cross um, just <laughs> just by the, the high esteem that, that Chris is held in um, by a few friends who, who, who I have a lot of um, love for. And... Um, the other night we we shared this amazing experience um i planned a, a camp out uh, a one night camp out where we we're having a fire and we were uh, doing breath work and going for nudie swims and just connecting in with the land connecting in with brotherhood and mm. um chris um happened to be out visiting and and he was just fully on board and, and we got to share this beautiful evening um which is which is really a special a special time um so that's the time that I spent with Chris, and then the next morning we were like, we got to, we got to line up. We're just having some amazing conversations, and I said we just got to line up this podcast. And and so what we're what we're doing right now, what you're listening to right now, is just the natural emergence from from that kind of flow. So yeah, the flow state, the flow state, just living <laughs> in the flow. That's it. Um, so Chris, tell us tell us a little bit about about yeah, however you want to answer this, who you are and the work that you do. Who I am. I'm nothing to be <laughs> extremely philosophical. No, I essentially, there's a lot of life experience that's led to what I'm doing now as far as teaching emotional anatomy 
Um, yeah, I've had a big path of working with health issues, um, mental challenges, all sorts of, um, you know, almost crises actually in those areas. And then having all my gifts and talents come together to start to look at this body-mind connection, which I cannot go on more about how critical it is to understand this connection in order to be empowered um, moving forward with health and knowing who you are. They're synonymous, which is also mm -hmm. interesting. So um, I've been teaching this work now to any kind of enthusiast who wants more self-development or practitioners out there who know that there's this connection but they haven't been taught it that way in their institutions and their schools and so on. You know, I, myself, I went to a holistic school of natural medicine and I did a three-year degree in musculoskeletal therapy and the notion of the mind, not to mention the soul because that would be just radical, but the mind having any kind of connection or emotions, having any kind of, you know, influence on the body was not even touched on. And this was, you know, a school promoting holistic health. So I just find that it's so refreshing for people coming from these different places, modalities, psychologists, to, to body workers and that having this kind of, you know, medium in between that's teaching them about this connection. Um, so, mm. yeah, very passionate about it. Mm. Can, we, can we talk a little bit about your, your childhood? Um, I'm just always yeah, fascinated sure. by the kind of early roots pathways mm. that manifest in in present day reality so yeah to, to just tell us a little bit about your childhood i mean what what straight away comes to mind with that question is i was born into a um a fundamentalist sort of christian background uh, pentecostal and um i actually Looking back, I had a really interesting way of actually looking at that whole teaching, which was to see it in a symbolic fashion right from the very start. And I took those symbolic messages very um, as important, very important messages. Um, but as a young person, I did definitely get caught up in the fundamental aspect of it, which is the black and whiteness of it. And... Um, you know, my, my mum was 16 when she had me. My dad was 18. They were very young. And it sort of provided them a bit of a structure and a bit of a way to navigate their life um, and to try and do the right thing, I guess, by, by us, um, me and my brother. I've got a younger brother as well. Um, so, yeah, one, I mean, huge part of what I teach today has got to do with actually coming out of that. Mm -hmm. um, realizing that there isn't a black and white to this whole mm. thing you know there isn't a black and white solution but in understanding the symbology of these things um, we actually find the answers and that's what we're teaching that's what i'm teaching with the body is that it's essentially a symbol of something we're looking at in a very black and white very mechanical fashion so mm. Okay, cool. So let's fascinating. We both share something in common in that we were, we were raised in quite 
fundamental um, mm. religious contexts, and I think the profundity of that is 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 around what you described as as this stark polarity, like the the creating of kind of like artificial black and whiteness, um, and what that does to the mind. And I find it fascinating that you and I both have yeah. <laughs> rebelled against this kind of like radical fundamentalism, I guess, in a sense. Um, yeah. Can you speak a little bit about that kind of rebellion against fundamentalism? Like, When did it start to take root in you? Well, that's, yeah, that happened. I had a, um, a friend of mine, and this is, I guess, current with what's going on in the world at the moment. Uh, he was a musician in the church and he was a good family friend of ours and he was gay, but he didn't tell anyone about this. And um, all kinds of destructive stuff would come up because of that. Um, if you're not who you are, things go shit, things go pear-shaped. So what ended up happening there is he started bringing in different information to the, to the, to the conversation that we would have all the time around this one concept, right? So he's now learning to and wanting to justify his position. So he's bringing in new information. And when I think about information now energetically is it's, it's going to change formation. So we're in a current formation. When you're in a fundamentalist situation, you're only allowed to look at the same formation, which is the same information. If someone brings in new information, then they're going to change the formation of what's there, which is exactly what happened. And I'm starting to now go, hang about, maybe there's information that will actually um, align more with what I feel. I mean, so I'm not um, homosexual like this person, but there were so many things about myself that were suppressed due to the information I was given and certainly in the interpretation of the information I was given. So he was huge um, as a part of um, planting seeds for me that you can actually go out there and find different answers and that there are many different answers outside of this, you know, dogma that you've been fed for so long and that, and that everything in your life has been justified based on this dogma. So that was when I was about 18 years old, seven, yeah, 17 years old. And, um, I had a bit of an identity crisis, a huge identity crisis actually at that time because once I started becoming open to new, more information, I started to realise there was no answer mm. and that I had to actually create the answer. Mm. And that led me to believe or led me to know that I was the answer mm. rather than the answer being outside myself. And that was a real challenge because prior to that, the answer was outside after the information, the answer was inside. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Let me can, we, can we break that apart a little bit? Because that's actually like a very, well, that's, that, that, that's a shift in consciousness. Everything, exactly. Everything's a shift in consciousness, but that is a very significant, you know, there, yep. there's, 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 there's certain shifts in consciousness that are like kind of fundamental, like one's relationship with death and um, one having an experience of connection with with other people, with with life itself, but that one that you just described, um, the shift from external 
information to inner knowing. That's right. That's a very, very significant one. So Yeah, it was big. Like what, you were in your yeah, late was... teens when you had this one? Yeah, yeah. And I was looking very, very in-depth, very in-depth at the philosophies prior to this. So I was prepped for it. Um, I wasn't someone who was a a bystander in my religion, like sort of going along the assumption. I was constantly looking at it very deeply, um, having many conversations well into the night, well into the morning um, from like the age of nine, eight, nine years old. And what, at that what age, was, were, you, were you challenging your parents on things like whether absolutely. Jesus is the son of God and whether God is yeah. almighty and omniscient and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, and certainly between different religions as well because there's um, variations there. And um, I, I went to a very strict um, school where we got the paddle and the cane and all that kind of thing. And that was at a time, I'm, I'm, not, I'm 34 years old, so that's like unheard of. Um, and I would be constantly questioning them because they didn't believe about the Holy Spirit and stuff like that, whereas our church did. And I was affected by the Holy Spirit and they believed that that didn't even exist and yada, yada. So I was constantly looking at these things and scrutinizing these things and really challenging people all the time, um, which cost me a lot of friendships and um, a, a lot of drama because people don't like questions, you know, just go with it, mate. Just, mm. just go with it. You know, like mm. I was, I'll never forget when I asked my mum point blank about Santa Claus when I was four years old, <laughs> I just had this knowing that this is bullshit, you know, like there was some logical things not adding up. And because she was a Christian, which is classic, she felt she had to tell me the truth. <laughs> <laughs> And so she told me Santa Claus, you know, wasn't real in that in the sense that they will be told. So I ran and told the kids at school and I was so excited to tell everyone because for me it didn't feel like that we weren't going to get presents because we knew about Santa Claus. But I think for other kids that was the case. And I was, you know, I didn't get to go to parties. I was put to the side <laughs> for probably a few months, which for as a kid is a big deal. Yeah. So anyways... Yeah, I always had this interest, mate. Like I would go to my friends' houses to essentially be with their older brothers or sisters to talk with them for hours and hours about things that were well beyond my sort of mm. physical years, I guess. Mm. It was just something that was always there. Um, and so at 17 years old, I was well prepped from so many conversations and connections and so on, but now information in a way that I haven't experienced it, like in book form and things like that. Um, you know, I, there was this assumption that I had as a young person reading the Bible, like it was so impressive. Um, I just assumed it had to be real. Hmm. You know, like it, there was so much detail and just it was so enormous. I just thought no one can make this up, you know. So getting in touch with new information and, and such thoroughness of information and that other people have done, I just realized, well, clearly any one of us can do this, mm. you know? And then I realized everyone who hasn't realized that is a fundamentalist in the sense that they believe what they believe with the information that they have. 
And so I'd start challenging all kinds of beliefs um, and find out that I wasn't the only fundamentalist around. There's many of them, science-based, whatever it is. Chris, do you want to just do you want to switch your video off just so we can keep the sound quality high? Just because it's uh, the internet's being a little bit glitchy. Cool. Yeah. Cool, man. So <laughs> when so when you were a child, was was there a you know presumably there was a stage where there was a complete belief in what you were being taught, and then and then the, was there a gradual kind of like questioning of it, and then an expansion into the possibility that that this wasn't truth in inverted commas yeah well i guess what i mean what happened for me is that i started to come in contact with the fact that the whole time something didn't feel right something just was not feeling like incongruence with myself and Prior to that, I never even questioned it. I didn't even think that that was what... It's so strange to think about it now because that's how I base my entire life. But, yeah, that's that was a big part of, mm. um, of what happened there. And I started to then come in contact with information and ideas and so on. Um, Buddhism was a big part of that. So I had a big identity crisis in which I went, well, I'm just going to be completely out of integrity for a while, whatever that looks like, um, which was really painful, painful experience. (laughs) Um, And then that eventually then led me to to Buddhism, which felt very much aligned with myself. Um, And it was non-sectarian and very much put the power in my my seat put it with me Mm. um and i really was blown away i i had not experienced someone who was all clobbered up in all this religious looking sort of material and there was all these like shrines and all this kind of stuff which in itself was quite an extreme thing to move away from to even accept from where i came from because that was very sinful and you know, the devil might jump out of one of those statues at any moment or whatever it is. Mm. But to be in that environment, the person to just constantly point the finger and go, mate, the power's with you. This is all with you. Mm. Yeah. And you've got to work this out. And we have methodologies. We have meditation as a way to connect with you, not as a way to connect with what I'm saying, Yeah. but as a way to connect with yourself and to find answers there. Mm. And I was like, I've never heard that before. Mm. Oh man! Like I remember that feeling of empowerment when I yes, when, yeah. when I stumbled across Zen Buddhism. I was probably a similar age to you. I was like very early twenties, late teens. Um, you know, reading Watts and then going to to Zen Buddhism and then practicing the meditation. I was like, Hang on a second, this is not about the Buddha. This is about me. This is- yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it, was, it was a complete shift. From like this, this very this externalization of, of of God and salvation, to like this internalization of God and salvation, it was yeah very very interesting process. Very very much very important, and you know I could have been taught another fundamentalist style Buddhism. Um, they're out there, heaps of them, 
um, where the power is still outside. Mm. Uh, but this this master happened to have some true um, shifts within himself to teach this, you know, this version. Um, his name is Lama Chodek Rinpoche, and um, he is actually, I'm pretty sure he was um, schoolmates with the Dalai Lama. They're both really? exiled from Tibet, yeah. Wow. So it's very much Tibetan styles of Buddhism? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that was that. That was my first influence. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just gone gangbusters since then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. So let's. So 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 how did? What, what was the next manifestation of of your kind of like your your, your growing your your harmonization with, with 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 yourself with your body with with your power like what. How, how did, what happened next? Yeah, what happened next, basically? Well, I had a um, really, really deep and profound um, first love experience. Mm. I had many girlfriends. Um, I loved girls as a as a child. <laughs> <laughs> many girlfriends, but I had a really, really profound love experience um, from 15 years old to 22 years old, mm-hmm. and um, that broke up. And uh, it was it was devastating. Um, it was my Romeo and Juliet experience. Uh, I see that as an archetype as well. Mm. And I there's nothing I could do, you know, on the instant gratification level, to heal that wound. It just it was diabolical, and so I had to find myself to feel it. And so that was all kind of also uh, at a similar time and meshed around the um, Christianity shift thing as well because that did go over a few years. Mm. Um, But it was like it was the big one. And so, yeah, I had to dig really deep at that time and I committed big time to my practices um, to find those answers and that came through meditation Mm. and um yeah i so what what is it about the breakup experience and that particular form of grief and pain that was conducive to to growth well it was just that nothing within the paradigm of of relationship being that this person filled the gaps for me this person Mm. you know they had so many qualities and things that I just absolutely loved that I didn't know was actually aspects of myself being externalized Mm. that I couldn't get I like it was I could not feel it because she was not going to come back and I had made my decision that that wasn't going to happen as well and that was just like feeling like I had no arms and legs and having to move through life sort of thing. So mm. that is, you know, I, I realize now even accepting that relationship was to accept such vulnerability because there was no way out of having that experience. Mm. The, the nature of the, the chemistry of that relationship meant that that growth was inevitable 
And I, I see with a lot of people that I work with as a practitioner and coach and counsellor and so on, you know, people want these relationships, but at the end of the day, there's there's a lot of fear about it because there's no going back. Once you make that connection, you're going to have to grow and you're going to have to grow big time um, because whatever has a beginning has an end, doesn't it? Like we don't control how that works. So... Yeah, I was, I was, you know, I was at a good time as being a young person, um, willing to jump as de- and as deeply as I did. Um, but it was catastrophic at the time. It was not nice. It was not fun. Um, but yeah, that was that was a big part of where mm. I am now today. Yeah. So, so what what advice have you got? If that's the right word, what what would you share with somebody who's going through a that particular kind of grief where you know, it feels like when a relationship breaks up, it literally feels like something has died. Um, well, that, and it has. Uh, you know, it, it is. It is a grit. It is like a death, and it's a death of the relationship, um, secondary but primary. It's a death of your current state of self, hmm. because you you will have to change to become whole again, and which means that the old the old shell is gone. You know, the old skin is off. Um, and the new skin comes through. So what I would suggest is to have an awareness about that and to have an awareness about the part in you that is trying to fill it from outside and be confident that it's not going to come in that direction. So if mm-hmm. there's a voice inside, you know, I followed this voice. It said meditate. Mm. Out of nowhere, it was like meditate. And I was like, meditate? What, what is that? It just was like, what, what am I going to do with meditating? You know, and I had this kind of, you know, idea of someone sitting there in a peaceful position on a mat or whatever it was. Mm. But I listened to it. I was willing to listen to this voice that I wasn't willing to listen to before. Um, so I, know I went with it. And, and Lama Chodak Rinpoche, one of the highest profile Tibetan Medit- uh, you know, monks in the world was like 10 minute drive away from where I was working. I had no idea they were there until that, you know, mm. was, that voice was initiated. And so that's the only thing that made it whole. And that's the shift into that next level of consciousness. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but, if but they're paint, in that state, that- you kind of, you should have a slight smile on your face going, I'm in the next. I'm in the next mode of my life. Like, it's shit right now, and it's horrible. It's painful. It's it's devastating. It's like there's no point living. But you're on the path to like, you know, a world that you didn't even know existed. <laughs> Unbelievably so. But let's let's make this really fucking obvious for people because because actually meditation can be. Um, well, first of all, ill understood, and secondly, slippery and elusive. And what you're basically saying is that meditation was a tool for you to shift into another stage of consciousness. Meditation was a was a tool to enable you to go from one sense of self to another. Now, how how exactly does sitting quietly um, in stillness and space elicit such a transformation that you're describing? Okay, well. <clears throat> 
what it did for me at the start is essentially was that when I quieted myself, the natural essence of myself started bubbling up. Mm. So the things I just was naturally drawn to, naturally passionate about, things that would make me feel alive. Mm. And it gave me this sense because I was, I was very um, destructive at that time. So I was drinking a lot, doing drugs on the weekend, you know, that kind of whole scene. And um, I really lost a lot of trust in myself, you know. And when I could actually sit there, I dealt with the greatest addiction that I had, which was my thinking, which was my thoughts. Mm. This is what I couldn't stop. And even the relationship, I thought if I could just control my mind, which I later now realize it's not that, it's actually realizing that you're not in your mind, but I would think if I could control my mind, I could make this relationship work again or whatever it was. But when I actually did meditation properly, I realized it's a shift of realization that I'm not my mind and then my mind is a tool, my body is a tool for this impulse that's inside of me, this natural organic impulse that's inside of me. And as I started to realize that, I started to see my character and my natural mannerisms, my natural interests as not coming from a space of ego but just that's what I was, that's, that's it. Like mm. this is the nature of me, if that makes sense. That makes perfect <laughs> sense. So, and so then I was like, how do I then amplify that? Like I can now choose that. I, I know what I am now. I know what's just organically coming out of me. I can see it. I can see it happening in front of my eyes. So in my life, what part of my life is is allowing more of that, is is harnessing that, is nurturing that, and what in my life is not doing that? Mm. And now, and because I'm obliterated and everything's completely horrible, I'm in this perfect position to go, well, I'm just going to choose those things. Like, why not? Mm. You know, um, I, I, I sort of was allowed, I was, I was given this permission because of the state I was in to choose the things that mattered most to me. Um, which is what makes that opportunity, what makes that horrible situation an opportunity rather than someone who's in a really sort of a nice, comfortable kind of level mode of existence. Um, the opportunities there for those people as much as someone's in a grief process, um, but their willingness to take the opportunity can be quite different, mm. you know. Because there's a lot of fear that happens around these things. There's a lot of, you know, I, I gave up a very, um, for example, at that time, I was uh, 23 years old. I was making $65,000 a year as a non-educated person, um, like in the public service, doing a job that I was only ever going to continually get promotions, as I was told by my peers and so on. And I gave all that up, all that mm. security um, to be a massage therapist at the time, mm -hmm. <laughs> moved to Brisbane and um, study something that I had no idea what security was going to come from it. Mm. So those, yeah. That's very interesting. So, so this, um, yeah, I like, I like making things like very kind of like obvious for, for people to, to grasp onto and yeah. like things yeah. like, 
um, meditation, what you're describing here is that meditation was a tool or a technology, a practice that enabled you to actually create a new, like conceive a, a new version of yourself to actually, rather than to change yourself or your ego, your, your body mind complex to actually like connect with something different entirely like this, this inner knowing this. So, so you actually like created a new sense of who you are through the practice of meditation. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, it was always me. Mm. It was not like a new me. Mm -hmm. It was just, oh, this is what it is to be me. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. so in my face. It was so obvious. But without that, being able to separate myself from what wasn't what I was identified with myself which wasn't me which was Mm. all the thought processes and everything else yeah all of the simplicity of who I am was was clouded by that Mm. it's so it was was so it's so simple when the you know this the fog is cleared it's so obvious right and there was a willingness to really clear that fog because the fear comes up. What if I clear it and there's nothing there? What if I clear it and I find out half of my life isn't in alignment with who I am? Mm. Like what, what's going to happen? Mm. You know, I teach meditation to people every week and these are the concerns that come up because – you know that that I, I think the greatest fear we have is of the unknown. I believe that's the greatest fear we have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what you're saying is that if the if the known, i.e., one's present reality, is so shit and painful, yeah, that there's it becomes a lot more palatable <laughs> to step into the unknown. So therefore, one could yeah. say that a person who is having a really shit time of it, there's actually like a, a blessing there. Because, oh, abs- yeah. absolutely. <laughs> because you're far more likely to take this leap into the, in, into the unknown, which is where, you know, awakening exists. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't know how many times I've said to people when they've <laughs> screamed at me and they've gone, when am I going to know this? Like, when am I going to see what's in front of my face? I'm like, when you've had enough pain. <laughs> and then and they just like, punch you in the face. <laughs> you know, and, you know, part of my role um, is to, you know, there's, there's sort of two ways to create pain in your life. Um, one is the natural cause of pain that will nature creates when you're out of alignment with yourself um, through illness and all kinds of different things. And the other is through awareness. It's, it's really painful to be aware of something and not act on it. Not be true to it. Truth. Right? Yeah. So as a practitioner, as a coach and those types of things that I do with people, I'm offering them awareness as a way to increase the pain enough for the change. Do you know what I mean? Um, But disease is perfectly a good way for it to happen as well or dis-ease or however you want to say it. Mm. Um, And, yeah. So both 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 painful courses lead to the same place, mm. um, which is the willingness to now move into the unknown because the pain has exceeded the fear of the unknown. 
Oh man, like I resonate so much on that concept of it's it's really painful to be aware of something and not take action mm. on it. Mm. Like, be careful what you're asking for, right? If you're, <laughs> if, you're if you're on this path of expanding awareness, this yeah. is not for wusses, right? No. Because every time you become more aware of something, then you have to perceive your life from a place of higher awareness, and you have this renewed responsibility to look at all the areas of your life that are not in alignment with this new level of awareness. And it yep. requires change, which hurts. And it's very, very conf confronting. That's, um, I think that's a point well worth reinforcing. Um, oh, and it changes your relationship, you know, like why I love emotional anatomy um, is not so that we can all be perfect and be you know, be entirely free of disease our whole lives or anything like that, because that's not, I don't believe in our control um, fully. I think what happens is a perspective change. You know, when I'm in pain, I'm aware that something's going on. Mm. I'm aware that something's going on that's not just, oh, the machine is starting to fail. You know, when my when I'm experiencing dis-ease, of some kind, um, you know, or illness, you know, that's what I mean by that, a state of dis-ease. I've got, whilst I'm struggling with it and I don't like it, I, there's a slight smile on my face behind it going, something good's going on. You know, I'm in a growth. I'm in a big state of growth. And that's what I have now as a knowing behind these things. And so there's less reactivity, um, you know, going around the mulberry bush trying to find issues rather than getting to the point of what's going on. Mm. And that opportunity is so often missed in our society when it comes to those things. It's not look at yourself and find out what's happening. It's look outside yourself and fix the problem. Mm. It's like there's nothing here to be fixed. You're in a stage of growth. What's going on? Mm. And I, I'm so passionate about that um, because so much of the suffering is the relationship to the illness, not the actual illness. You know? Can you, can you talk more about that? So much of the suffering is the relationship to the illness rather than the illness. Can you yeah, elaborate? So if, if someone has a, an ailment going on, if they've got a... A hip pain, for example, um, the pain, mo most of the suffering comes from the irritation and anger and fear about the pain itself rather than the pain. Mm. So once you start to understand that your body is a symbolic, you know, representation of an internal process, you start to look at it that way and go, well, I'm not. You know, and then not create all that fear generation around it, but actually start to listen and realize this is something that's going on and I'm in a growth process, so I'm going to listen. And that takes out like probably 70% of the pain of what's going on. Mm. Not to mention actually resolving it through the internal to external process. Hmm. So let's let's go into this more. I want to. I want to. We're getting towards the stage where your wisdom is 
manifesting itself in emotional anatomy, which is the body mm. of work that you've uh, are dedicating yourself into. But mm. what's what's happening between your uh, intro to Buddhism, meditation after the relationship breakup? Mm. Um, you're obviously diving into a new new levels of consciousness now what's happening between there and where you're at now well at the time i was working as a government housing manager so i was working with the most challenged troubled people that you generally will come across um and i could write a book about my experiences there it was yeah absolutely amazing when i was in this process of internal inquiry I was seeing where my potential was showing up and I started to see that I had this knack with people and this ability to reach people and connect with people in a way that they would keep telling me. Um, And I started to develop this awareness around that and I was very um, unhappy about the way we were working with people and I would storm out of you know, boardrooms and discussions and be like, this is all not going to deal with the root cause of the problem, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) And no one really cared about what I was saying. But eventually I got to the point where I realized, well, I have to be the one who makes the change. I'm not going to wait for my department to make the change, um, for them to change where they're putting their finances and this and that. So I'm going to make the change. And so I then was like, well, what am I interested in? I've always been interested in the physical body and physical activity and exercise and movement and all that sort of stuff. And I had six years of chronic lower back pain in that time, um, as well as um, depression and other things. So I went, I want to go study the body. I want to go study it in a way that I've never given myself permission to do so in the past. I have a natural interest there. So as I said to you earlier, I went and then I moved to Brisbane and gave that job up to study musculoskeletal therapy at the Endeavour College of Natural Medicine. Mm-hmm. And now I've got this shift behind me, right, at the same time as I'm doing this. Mm. So I've got this whole shift of what happened with that Christianity and what happened with that breakup and everything else. So I'm realizing I'm the creator here and I'm the one who's committed now to my, my personal um, expression. Okay, so then I go into this institute um, and find out it's another dogma um, where they're trying to get me to believe 100% black and white fundamentally in everything that they're teaching about Mm. the body, for example. And I'm like, well, that doesn't interest me Mm. because... I, I'm not, I don't feel it's juicy enough. I don't, feel, I don't like the fact that I can't connect with my client in a certain kind of way. And um, so throughout that degree process, I started going, well, I want to get into the mind. I want to get into why these things are going on because I resolved my own personal back pain through resolving a debt that I had. Okay, That's what actually shifted it. I had a personal toxic debt that was with me for a long time that I wouldn't resolve properly and I resolved that and my back pain shifted dramatically from that point. So I was like, I want to know about that stuff. I know, I know there was a relationship to the stress of that to the pain that I was in. You're talking and like then, an actual monetary debt where you owed yeah, someone money. A monetary debt that I owed the bank. Yeah. Um, 
um, was connected with my back pain. Um, and no specialist, no physio, osteo, chiro, anyone I, I saw had even asked me a question about my finances in relation to my debt. Now, if you if you start to understand the chakra system and the energetics, it's it's a it's not a far cry at all that that could be what's going on. Hmm. So, what ended up happening there is I had this uh, just amazing synchronistic moments that connected me with um, learnings about the body mind connection, and then so I. St- started to with my really good foundations in the body with Mm. my degree that I had started to connect all this emotional mental content to that um and I and I wasn't swayed in doing so by what my lecturers were telling me I should believe and so on because I already gone through the process of dropping all that (laughs) Mm. going well they're right and I'm wrong it's like well no I don't have to listen to anything I'm all I'm going to do is take what I like here take what I like here take what I like here and I'm going to put it together um, and it so happens that there's a lot of um, consistency amongst so many people who have done that. I've now connected with so many different body workers and holistic types that are saying the exact same thing I'm saying. We haven't even had the conversation. Mm. So, you know, it's not – it's interesting this whole creativity thing, you know, creating from a sense of self – it's interesting how many other people out there doing exact same thing. So you realize it's just the universe still working through me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 This is not mine. Um, I'm just now of the frequency frequency that I can access this now. That's how I see it. Um, Mm, That's right. So So it's almost like a channeling of, of just universal truths that are just coming through you because you're ready to transmit that frequency. Exactly. Um, So, okay. So amazing. So, Please, like, tell us how how do you explain how would you explain emotional anatomy to to an alien um, or, or someone with, with very little understanding? <laughs> it is, of like, it is like that when I'm explaining it most, most of the time. <laughs> okay. Well, it, it it's birthed from uh, that way back with Sigmund Freud. He used to have a colleague. Um, his name was William Reich, and they did a lot of study together, but Reich went down the track of the body and Sigmund Freud went way more down the track of, you know, the psyche. And, you know, it was it was quite a long time ago that this whole body-mind thing was said it had to be in two different departments. Um, Descartes uh, has a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, the church said, and going back to the Christian thing, um, we own the soul and the mind, and if you want to study, this is the new science coming through. If you want to study the body and cut, you know, cadavers apart and look at it, you can, but you cannot make correlation from the body to the soul because that's our department. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is what the ego does. The ego says it has come to certain departments in life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so. What essentially emotional anatomy is, is being able to look at the body as a symbolic outer manifestation of the mind, body, and soul, like the soul emotions and the psyche, and being able to read it like a book. So when I look at a body, I see symbols, I see shapes, and I see condition that symbolizes characteristics 
and story and trauma and gifts and talents and all kinds of different things. Um, essentially what it, what it enables you to do is, is see the essence of someone through their physical form um, and so creating a connection, a very strong connection, and it, it really um, creates an accountability for the person who receives that information from you. Uh, <laughs> it's very confronting sometimes, actually. So I can, for example, be looking at someone's inner thighs and the tissue quality, um, the tissue contractions, muscle contractions, clamping down, um, skin um, temperature, all those types of things will tell me a story about their relationship with um, vulnerability, um, their sexual nature, um, potentially trauma, all those types of different things, just as an example. And the whole body is mapped out this way. Hmm. Okay, so so let's go more into the sort of areas that you're drawing from. Um, so you mentioned the chakra system. You mentioned um, understanding energetics. You mentioned Freud. And you yeah. mentioned his colleague. Um, what's his name again? Uh, uh, William Reich. William yeah. Reich. Okay. So, yeah. So, so immediately there, if you're talking about like Freud, you're talking about sort of like the, the, the roots of, I guess, modern psychotherapy. And I guess if you're talking yeah. about the chakra system, you're talking about an ancient um, way of understanding energy flow. What, and, and obviously this is extremely fascinating to, to, to draw these, these things together. What, yeah. what else? What else was going into your cauldron as you were in, into your pot, um, as as you were formulating um, new ways of of seeing the, a human being? Yeah, I mean, do you mean like the mechanisms of being able to read the body? Is that what you're saying? Or? Yeah, yeah. Like we, we, so you you were studying. So obviously you're a body worker. So you're doing massage. So you're getting like a first hand understanding of how people's yeah. bodies feel which I yes, guess is yes. really quite fundamental to what you do. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, I, my mind's always seen in a symbolic fashion, as I was saying about the way I would look at Christianity mm. way in the past. Um, the advantage I have there is I don't see life in its um, black and white form. I see it in its symbolic form. So that's helped me be able to see the body which is often seen like a machine and actually see its symbology now what helps see its symbology is understanding the energetics of the chakra system so uh, the chakra system um, you know has been around and known about for thousands of years through ayurvedic um, teachings and we have the base chakra sacral chakra solar plexus heart chakra throat chakra those types of things and all of those chakras contain impulses mm -hmm. so if you know I've, I've often said to you know a classroom of people i'm teaching who believes that the body mind is connected and everyone puts up their hand but someone might not i, I one time had a guy i asked you know is the body mind connected he said no i don't believe that they're connected in the way that you're saying and i said my friend have you had a a thought in your mind about a naked woman and get a heart on <laughs> Right, and I said, and he's like, 
and it's all registering and very quickly where I'm going with this. And I'm like, you had a thought and then you had a corresponding physical change and most obviously in a certain part of your body. So right where his genitalia is, is the sacral chakra and the base chakra, which contains the, the strongest impulses for sexuality, right? So when we have a thought, we have neuropeptides and hormones and so on pumped through the body, which connect to cells that are vibrating in an area of the body that that can be received most strongly. Because, of course, this affects the entire body, but there's areas that it's focused, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about confrontation, um, that is more seated in the solar plexus, in our abdomen area, right? So if someone thinks about um, confronting their boss because they're not getting paid enough, they might start to feel a bit sick in their stomach because mm-hmm. that's where those impulses manifest from. Or if they're struggling with certain stresses, um, uh, you know, in relation to um, obstacles and certain things like that, which is very solar plexus driven, they might start to get issues with their liver or issues with their gallbladder and things like that. So the emotional anatomy process is seeing how if someone has a thought process or a belief structure or something like that that's perpetuating itself over and over and over like water running over rock, right, you'll start to see it physically show up in certain kinds of shapes and posture and things like that. So we start to, I'm teaching people how to read that. Do you know what I mean? Like saying, if someone was looking at water over rock and going, can you see where the water is going? Right, that's the energy. And what does that mean for that person? And the, you know, the response from the person who you are reading is so profound that you can see them, you know, you can see their inner process and that creates the awareness that we were talking about earlier, you know, that Mm -hmm. brings about that sense of responsibility, which then empowers that person to make those changes because it's coming from within. It's coming from perception. We can change those things. Yeah. Yeah. But well, of what, course, what, it works both ways. So anyway, yeah. What, what what about like the where DNA or g- genetic inheritance comes in? So say oh, like yeah. someone's got a predisposition to have massive calf muscles, for example. Yes. Yes. Like yeah. So yeah, that always comes up, and I generally address this as the first thing because what we're taught is that everything's about the genes, mm-hmm. um, what you look like how your cells are going to function, everything is about your genes. And um, fortunately, there is now um, a new wave of empowerment sciences, um, one being epigenetics. You Mm -hmm. may have heard of this yourself, um, which is suggesting that that's not how it's working. Um, How it's working is that your genes are a memory stick. um, And the way that your cell membrane responds to its environment is then what the genes hold as their memory Mm. okay so your parents are going to combine their memory sticks together and then create you so you Mm. are going to be a combination of their two memory sticks that's that's for sure Mm -hmm. right as you go on in life you can change those memory sticks through the choices that you make 
by the environments that you put yourself in. So if you expose yourself to a certain belief system, for example, and that then creates certain perceptions, then your body is going to be um, then um, it's going to that's going to create the environment of your body. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, as we all know, like if someone was to experience an accident, say a car accident, and one person was a rally driver and another person has never experienced a car accident in their life, both of their beliefs and perception about that accident is going to be create a very different physiology for each of those people. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because of their exposure to those things and their ideas about those things and whatever. So when we go through life, we can actually start to um, shift things that aren't working for us, but also realize what we've been given that's really um, necessary and supportive and, and, you know, accentuate those things. Mm. Um, The other part, which is what, um, you know, really starts to stretch people is that, your soul qualities are going to, no matter what, show through that physicality that's presenting. So what you, when your parents get together and they have that, that DNA moment, there's a whole bunch of qualities there that are supportive of your soul purpose. Okay, interesting. Like I'm just thinking and, about my brother and I, right? So yep. same genetic uh, memory sticks coming together. Yeah. Um, like radically different body types and, and just to speak about one aspect of the body type. So he's, yeah. my brother's got like very strong, prominent calf muscles and yeah. I've, and I've, and I've always had like this sort of chicken leg type thing going on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I've always been curious about it. So he, he's got a more tendency for groundedness. Um, when the energy moves down to the earth like that, it's it, it that's our base chakra. So that that means that there's a more dominant physicality there, and a groundedness, but a potential to be more stuck. Um, I mean, unless the, I'd have to specifically see the calves, but mm. um, if there's a lot of weight in the calves and there's a sluggishness potential, mm. um, whereas with thin chicken legs, um, more of a get goer, you know personality quick to move hard to plant down roots hard to stay still kind of personality maybe a little less grounded um, (laughs) in their approach so you know when you have brothers i mean brothers are born into an environment where they polarize each other to create balance Mm. that's what siblings do and that's Mm. what you're doing with your your family because you know you're in a you're in an energetic um, frequency within your family and 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 constantly energy trying to find balance and homeostasis so it creates that through the polarities of the people involved in the family dynamic very Um, interesting you know (laughs) yeah so oftentimes different potentials will come back to your physicality as you become more wholesome within your own self which is a big shift outside of the tribal identity which is your family Tribal identity, family identity is base chakra. Um, as you go along, you know, yeah, I mean, that's how, opening up a whole other can of worms of discussion. But mm. um, everything I look at in life has its basis in energy. 
and and um when you're talking about the shift you know how you said there was a really significant shift that i had with the christianity mm-hmm. essentially all that shift was was from base chakra to sacral chakra that's what that shift was just spell that out a little bit more for people not familiar with the chakra system so what are those two uh base and sacral what are they representative of yeah so to keep it in context with what we're talking about our, we're born into our base chakra, which is our more animalistic sort of tribal identity chakra. Mm-hmm. And this is where everything's black and white. Um, what we're told from our caretakers is what it is and what, you know, is the facts. Um, at a certain time in our development, our, soul, our sacral chakra impulses kick in, which is our experiential impulses. And they want us to branch out to different tribes and experience different things. And the reason for this is because that's going to um, shatter the um, fundamentalism of your original um, belief structure. And it's going to give you um, different experiential information to allow more of your potential to come through. Okay, so Mm -hmm. um, this is where usually hits around puberty we start to rebel against our um, parents, mm-hmm. um, start to have a really strong inclination to have intimate relationships with people outside the tribe, which is only natural at that level. And then in doing so, you're going to then mingle with their consciousness, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then change happens from that, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So change, change is a consciousness of the sacral chakra, for example. A lot of the people that you talk to um, have gone from the sacral chakra to the solar plexus, which is where you start to identify your personal identity in all of that. So you have a lot of different experiences. Um, You desire for a lot. Uh, A lot of that is still an externalized event. But then it's like, well, but I'm not really satisfied with a sense of meaning. Um, I don't have a sense of purpose and a sense of my own autonomy. Mm. And so now those um, impulses start to kick into gear there and we start to form an identity. Mm. So, yeah, and it goes on and on. I could go on and on and on. But Well, no, please, let's let's go on. There's only seven of them, right? So we've done, <laughs> well, we've got, we're up to solar plexus. Yeah, and I'm only really – and I'm only touching very lightly on each of them. Um, there's a lot more to them. But um, then we've got the heart chakra, which is a very high level of consciousness. Um, this is your kind of uh, Jesus – um, level of consciousness um, if you know as the as the archetype that he is um, the acceptance non-judgment unconditional love kind of realm um, it's interesting uh, how many people I know in their solar plexus level of consciousness that talk about gratitude um, because gratitude is the obvious next move that's an, an essential move to heal the solar plexus level of consciousness um, yeah, you know, does, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, because, you know, I was, I was, I was listening to, um, who was I listening to recently? We're talking about gratitude. Um, from, from going from one consciousness to the next, you basically need to lend from the qualities of the chakra above or the energy consciousness above. Mm-hmm. to to get there um 
And so, yeah, you're going to hear a lot of people who are on stage, a lot of people have created a lot of things, who've used their power, which is their solar plexus, to create an identity, which is people you know. Um, most of them are talking about things like acceptance and gratitude and those types of things. Mm -hmm. What I find a little bit frustrating is that a lot of heart chakra concepts are taught to people when they're in their base chakra level um, without mention of the sacral and solar plexus. And it kind of puts those levels into a kind of a naughty corner or a, they're, they're a bad thing to do. Um, a good example of that is want and desire mm. in, is, is, is said to cause you pain, right? Um, whereas they're critical components of the sacral chakra for, um, without our desires and wants we won't experience the things that give us more information about ourselves. Um, going further from there, we were talking about this at breakfast the other day when mm. we had, you know, that moment um, uh, in Noosa about how people just, they're just so caught up in their identity and just wanting to make this identity. Do you remember this conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Like amongst change makers, like it's the... A change makers, exactly, yeah, right? The identity so of I'm a change maker. That's right. So when you're a change maker, you've gone through the consciousness of change, sacral chakra, and then you're in the consciousness of the solar plexus, which is the I center. And it's saying, I want to now make these changes. I'm going to change the world, right? Mm. I'm going to make a difference. So that is a critical component um, to our growth, in my opinion. That is the nature of that level of consciousness. The heart chakra, which is the next level of consciousness, is like, let go of that shit. Mm, <laughs> so okay. Accept the way things are. Don't have, you know, just, it, it's like each chakra contradicts the last. Mm. It doesn't, but it seems to. You know, you go from base chakra, which is this solidarity, and then you go to sacral chakra, which is this, its element is water versus the base, which is earth. And it's like, water's like, this changing flowing situation like totally different from the base chakra and so it's such a diabolical shift to go through to enter these different realms if that makes sense um and so yeah uh navigating them causes a lot of pain and discomfort you know mm, it's very interesting to what you were talking about before like the demonization of things like want and desire so what you're what you're saying is that as we as we go up these levels of consciousness it's it's not that we transcend and it's more that we integrate and then and then transcend through the integration yeah. of these things yeah okay yeah for example like Eckhart Tolle um, he's one of my favorite people to listen to, um, you know, with his books and so on. Uh, he's teaching heart chakra level of consciousness and above. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So he's talking about, yeah, he's talking about presence. Mm -hmm. He's talking about non-ego, right? Mm -hmm. So this is being heard by someone in their base consciousness. And they're going to take that as a black and white concept. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And from a heart chakra level, desire is painful. Desire is going to cause you negative experience, if that makes sense, comparatively to being in that heart chakra consciousness. Yes. But from the base to the sacral is absolutely necessary. 
Mm. <laughs> and this is people. this is why most people when they when they first pick up the power of now they can't finish yeah. it, and then they come back to it a couple of years later and they're like, yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah, oh my god, this is truth. <clears throat> yeah, and I mean, you know, like every every time you're in a certain chakra area, say base chakra, for, you've got access to all the chakras in their kind of moments, but you're not living in them. You're not living in that consciousness, if that makes sense. So mm. a child will have heaps of access to their heart chakra consciousness, but they're not residing in that consciousness. Mm. So you can be in your sacral and then have this whole thing about acceptance and you can feel that and have seeds planted for that consciousness, but that's not where you live, you know? Yeah. I hear a lot of people, for example, and you've, you've interviewed these people, who have had all the success and like made heaps of money and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That is now fulfilled the sacral chakra impulses. Now they're ready to move on to the next. But I so often hear about it as that was unfulfilling and that wasn't like what made me happy. And it's like that's exactly what you had to do. Mm. One of my favorite teachers, Osho, mm-hmm. he, he used to call himself the rich man's guru. And what he would say is the rich man is ready because he's got everything and he has realized he has nothing. That's who I teach. <sighs> okay, so let's talk about that because, you know, Osho had like 30 Mercedes Benzes and was always right. wearing diamond studded watches. Yeah, yeah. And there's, yeah. you know, it's very confusing to a lot of people <laughs> who yeah. are confronted by this like guru and they have archetypes in their mind which they ascribe to the guru. And exactly. here's this guy just like challenging every single one of them and basically being like, you know, sexually promiscuous or whatever that means um, and being very materialistic in a sense. Like, what, how do you, how do you sort of explain? who he who he was through through this lens of consciousness and shock well the, the the i just feel that he was permitting where people were actually at mm. rather than trying to um give them a conceptual framework that then where they're not at mm. and when you permit someone to be where they're at then they grow okay okay if you put someone in a conceptualized framework of something that sounds good, that's way beyond where they're at, then there's no growth. There's just a just a fragmentation that happens in them. There's the way they, they actually live, and there's these nice fluffy ideas about what they know that or they think life should be like. And now there's judgment and there's resistance and there's inner conflict and all these things because they're not actually abiding in the growth that they're at. And Osho was very clear about that. I believe, um, and was like, I'm going to show these people they can actually go for the things that they want. I'm going to call myself the rich man's guru. I'm going to say, go out there, do your best to get rich, do your best to have as much sex as you can and do all those things because once you fulfill those impulses, you are then going to be ready to move to the next stage of your growth and then the next stage and the next stage and so on and so on, you know? Hmm. Whereas we have very little insight about this, uh, these frameworks of consciousness and not to mention how they affect your physical body and how your phys- what your physical body goes through throughout that, those stages. And that's what I'm teaching people to see um, so that they can understand what's going on for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, in- it's interesting how you 
you know, just just to draw this back to to my own life experience, because yeah. you know, when, when I first started this flow state journey and things like that, I was I, I very much had this polarized perspective of like oh yeah i used to be in the corporate world and you know i earned a million dollars a year and but it yeah. was but it was unfulfilling and i didn't have meaning or purpose and 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 then i and then there's this other way of living which is the polar opposite to that and it's giving me meaning and purpose and yeah and i and i and i've developed this sense over the last few years of like the the kind of like artificiality of that polarity that i've created mm. um um, so it's interesting, like, it's almost like, I feel like that's, that polarity is coming from like, I don't know, like almost like Christian doctrine of like Satan and God or good and evil or black and white. And like, yeah. it's just yeah. a, another kind of like legacy of that kind of simplified way of looking at life. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you've seen it. Like, you know, yeah. Cause you for one, and you're constantly having these conversations as well. That's the kind of way it's spoken about. Mm. But from my perspective, it's like, you know, if I have someone that I'm working with and they want those things, I help them get those things as fast as they can. Yeah. And then they're going to grow. Yeah. I'm not going to tell them, no, you should want this and you're not going to you get fulfillment out of that and da-da-da-da-da because then they're going to be trying to live up to something where they're not. Um, yeah. and, and you can grow so quickly. You know, you can grow really fast um, once you actually allow yourself to be where you're at. Mm. Amazing, yeah. Chris. Just let's 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 pivot slightly um, yeah. to how to navigate where we're at in the world. Um, so, a lot of people are going through an an inner change process. I mean, that's kind of like what life is. Um, whether you know it or not, you're going through an inner change process. But some yeah. people, a lot of people, are consciously going through an inner change process, um, and there's just stuff going on in the world, like there's always been. But just I don't know. A lot, a lot of people are, are feeling like in, in recent years, like shit's just getting really gnarly. Um, you know, there's there's a kind of like comical figure in the, in in the White House. There's like another comical mm. figure who's like got an arsenal of nuclear weapons and these two comical mm. figures are kind of like like almost like calling each other names like four-year-old kids um yeah. but they've got the power to press a button that kind of like ends the world um yeah how what sort of lenses do you do you use to kind of like navigate this this kind of external reality for, for yourself and for your children for, for 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 your you know just for life itself yeah, well, I mean, that, this is exactly a good example of how what my relationship is to these things through the lens that I see things now um, by understanding energy. And, I, you know, when I see um, Donald Trump, and that's who you're talking about, yeah. um, I see someone who's um, uh, probably about an eight- to nine-year-old at times and a four-year-old sort of in that spectrum um, spiritually. So they're very much in a base base level of consciousness with a lot of their reactivity, um, and they are symbolising um, the vast majority of people. Um, so, what I've seen in the past is, and what why he Donald Trump as an example is such a gift to the world is he is abruptly and outrightly symbolising 
the uh, a good portion of consciousness that people live in. Um, mm. And whereas the sort of political um, politicians would maintain a mask that would stop us from seeing that that they were operating under the same banner, but or under the same energetic. However, through their articulate words and and manner and suits and so on, whatever it is, it was harder to see. And so now there's a a mirror happening across the globe, um, uh, you know, with North Korea um, to battle it out and and grow, right? Mm. Because they both wherever wherever there's states of consciousness that need to grow, particularly when you're in you're an external state of consciousness, um, which is base and sacral, um, there needs to be a mirror outside of you to grow from. So, like, for example, if you're ready to take on a relationship, an intimate relationship, and they're a match, like you're both equally um, attracted to each other, there's, that, that person is now a mirror for you to grow. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, like, so Trump comes into power and then North Korea goes, boom, here's a mirror. Here's a potential now. So right now our whole globe is in the potential because of the ramifications of it, to shift to a higher level of a collective consciousness. So this is really exciting mm. because there's – Have you, you understand what I mean by collective consciousness? It's like all of our consciousness put together yep. give us like a, a, a spiritual context of where we're at in humanity. Mm-hmm. And so – these guys are now representing that and what I really like and what I'm seeing is that, you know, North Korea provoking um, America in such a way that it's either revert to the unconscious state of violence or grow. You know, Donald Trump is getting his buttons pushed in such a severe way that he will actually have to spiritually grow to get through this without creating damage, I believe. That's how I see it. And that then reflects on our collective consciousness. Which is that uh, we grow up. Okay, so if... So so let's just say this kind of like four-year-old level of, of... sparring of name calling um escalates um until it reaches a point where they're just like throwing so many words at each other and threats and stuff like that that it reaches a point and and donald trump's just like you know what i'm over this and uh you know this is just this is this is this is just ridiculous and silly and yeah and so so we're kind of like you know, it's sort of like the four-year-old becomes a six-year-old, becomes a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old. They realize That's like right. there's, there's other means of expression and communication and stuff like that. Exactly. He would have to see, he would have to see above the position that he's currently operating, right? Mm-hmm. He would have to expand in consciousness to actually drop it. Because if you are mirrored, you will be triggered and you'll be triggered to react. And you don't have control about that. 
if you're not going to grow beyond it. You have to grow beyond it. And once you grow beyond it, it's nothing. It's got zero. It's like a piss in the ocean. Anything that comes his way will be unaffected. Isn't it stunning because, to see like the actual... Yeah, yeah, and that's how it works. Yeah. But we're actually seeing his triggers manifesting through this technology called Twitter. Like, it, yes. <laughs> in real time. In real time, exactly. Like, it's, it's like finally we're actually seeing it without like the usual kind of masks that prevent us from seeing it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, you know, we all sort of know what's happening, but this guy is like, bless him, like actually showing it for real. That's what I like to see about it, and and I and I have a I have a feeling there's a good possibility that he will he and the administration will actually um, grow up because the alternative is too painful, and we spoke about pain and its ability to help us grow, right? Mm. And it's like maybe maybe I'm going to actually expand here, and so um, North Korea are going to probably keep provoking um, uh, at, a, at a really, you know, it's going to scare people. It's going to scare people a lot. And the reason for that is everyone's in that state of, most, a lot of people are in that state of consciousness. You know, I, I rarely find, I rarely ever come in contact with a spiritual adult. Um, I come in contact with spiritual teenagers, um, but mostly I come in contact with spiritual kids. And they're running our world. They're running our lives, in a sense. Mm. So the whole globe is growing right now. The whole globe is under this pressure increasingly to realize that this is an internal to external event. He, Trump has to realize he has been internally triggered for this to drop. He has to go internal for this to change. There is no way out of this externally. And the whole globe, every human being on this planet is being pressured to have that realisation through whatever drama that's going on in their life. My goodness. It's like the, it's like the, the, the very possibility of nuclear obliteration, which is yep. something that's only been available for the last 50 years, something like that. Yep. So the very notion of nuclear obliteration is kind of symbolic in a but kind of literal of like yeah. what will what has to, the only way that could possibly catalyze the shift in consciousness that is required to break through where the default where the base state is in that child that's right. state that's right we are born into an external version of consciousness you know we're born into that um that's how we're supposed to grow i've got a nine-year-old son he's born into that and the world essentially stays in that. They stay in the survival level of consciousness, which is the base chakra again. And you know what that's like. I know what that's like. Everyone you've interviewed knows what that's like. But at some point along the road, they grew to not grow outgrow your survival mechanisms, but to realize what they actually are and not to be ruled by them anymore. Mm. And as such, you become creative. As such, you realize you have the power to change things. You know, that's that next level. And 
you know, for the vast majority of people, they have no interest yet to um, be that person. They don't believe they have that power. They don't believe that that's in them because they haven't yet probably had the pain enough to actually have to come to realize it. Mm. So, it, yeah, it's it's in serious times, you know, It's it's it, it, but it's also exciting, I guess, in a certain way as well. Mm. Yeah. What do you think Osho would say to Mr. Trump or or the other dude? The other dude? <laughs> I think he'd say to the other dude, um, go as hard as you can at him. <laughs> yeah. uh, keep it up. Keep the threats up. Keep keep doing your missile testing. Yeah. Um, keep backing him into a corner. Get him to the point of wanting to press that button, his fingers trembling. Get him right there on that point and then push again a little bit harder so he'll shift. That's what I think he would say because Osho would take the risk. Mm. Osho would take the risk because we're in the risk anyway. Mm. Do you know what I mean? If we don't change the way we are, we're risking our world, we're risking our earth, we're risking our environment in the way that we're operating anyway. Mm. Yeah. And it's like if, if you can shift and you can be a true leader and show the world that you have shifted because if you have shifted, you cannot not show the world that. Mm. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a position that you cannot not have. What kind of impact will that have? Like that is, that is the kind of shift that people have been talking about for generations, you know, those opportunities. Um, and, 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 I mean, the, the fear kind of uh, response to that shift will be extre- quite extreme in itself. Mm. Um, so, you know, he, he got into power in, in many ways through a fear-based uh, argument, you know, and imagine you come out with an empower-based message. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know, like mm. what kind of influence would that have? Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, really interesting stuff, man. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I love the things that, you know, whatever you're spreading with everything that I've heard that, you know, these these kind of forums and talks and stuff do is just keeps – it keeps encouraging this these shifts to happen, you know. It's these in these inner shifts, right? It's like yeah, because we have the power to do it now. We don't have to wait for someone to permit us to have this conversation. Correct. You know, we've got the foundations for the shift that we're moving into. Correct. It's here. We've got the tools. We've got the freedom. That's like right. That for you know millennia, human beings have kind of been in servitude to aristocracy or to religious doctrine or you get burned at the stake if you do that but like we've got we've got the freedom we've got the internet we've got like yeah and therefore we've got the responsibility that's exactly that's 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 the way i feel about it so let's let's make this super just this last kind of like five minutes let's just make this super potently pragmatic practical for people um the people tuning into this podcast are people at a uh, transformation stage in their life you know they hungry for for, for, you wouldn't you wouldn't be listening to this unless you were uh, hungry for new inputs and higher consciousness inputs and things like that so how can we help the person who wants to change themselves to to have an impact on the world 
Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is just to make the choice to put your self-expression as number one. Mm. I love that. And then in doing so, wherever environments support your self-expression, put yourself there. And then you just you just become from that point. Mm. That that permission, that opening um, draws it out of you even more. And then and then it's really obvious from there how you are then going to make a difference in the world from there. And the other thing, which might be surprising, is to allow your shadow self to be part of this process, particularly at this stage. Allow your shadow desires to support you. And I'll give you one example of that. Maybe you think that you have a better way and you want to be right, for example, you want to be right or you want to be you want to have more control. These are thought of as values that are, are negative. You know, you should let go of control. You shouldn't have the need to be right. I would say the stage that most people are at, if you can connect your heart with those desires, then that will work really well at this stage. Mm. If you have a too highly idealistic concept of what this next stage should be, then you'll feel like a fraud and you'll feel like you're contradicting yourself and, you know, it'd be very hard to give yourself the permission to move forward from there. Hmm. And so allow the shadow side to be part of this process. Yeah. Yeah. In allowing that shadow side to be part of this process, I don't, I don't know why I've just thought of this impulse, but I was I was with this guy on the weekend, Dan Brule. He's a he's a breath kind of master. Yeah, yeah. He said, he said the Christians the Christians are an interesting lot. It's like <laughs> he said, um, you know, it's like they talk about love all the time, but Satan ain't Satan anymore if you give him a little bit of love. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like yeah. our shadow side is not our shadow side anymore if we give that a little bit of love, if we give that a little exactly. bit of attention, if we give, give that a little bit of expression and release. Yeah. But the, the, the ego has used those impulses and has created them as shadows to prevent your growth. Mm. They're not shadow at all. They're just perceptions of that. And it's because they come from the external desire concept mm. that's why they're called shadow because anyone in their internal concept knows how much pain those things cause um, but where most people are they're still very necessary in their growth at that time mm. and the reason i say that is because i'm not giving advice to people who are approaching even residing in their heart chakra level not even close. Mm. So it's much better to give permission to be where you're at because then you have the, the world's at your oyster then and that growth will certainly come. Mm. You know? Amazing, amazing. So just we're just going to um, 
allow people to understand where they can learn more about you now. And just first of all, I'm going to just say that Chris does, um, you know, he runs trainings. So like emotional anatomy is, is a body of work in which one can become um, schooled in directly by Chris. There's a training program going on in November. There's one in March next year. I'm joining the one in March next year. And just to give people some context as to, you know, how to make, why I would do that. That's, I'm fascinated by this concept of, of maps and understanding, um, this path of expansion of consciousness. I, I think that mm. this idea of the, my body itself, like having all this amazing information there, it's like a manifestation of all of my ancestry, as well as my DNA, as well as all of my pains and struggles and, all of that and I'm absolutely fascinated by learning more about um, my body and how it relates to um, consciousness and this and this path that we're living through in mm. life so that's sort of like my intentions behind joining but first of all tell people Chris just where, where they can find out about your your work and and and, and learn about this stuff well yeah, yeah we have a website soulspacebrisbane.com.au um, you can um, navigate through the website there. It's quite basic. Um, or just search in Google emotional anatomy training and it'll be the first thing to show up. Um, and then if you have any inquiries, um, any questions at all about what's involved, practical questions, personal questions, whatever it is, we're available here to, to have a chat about that. And um, it's a big, you know, because it's a significant commitment. It's an eight-day commitment, um, intensive. Hmm. Um it's designed that way because it's mostly, um, well, there's a, a very important aspect about initiating you into this next stage of consciousness through this process. Um, it's a very significant training on that personal level. Um, and at the same time, you learn all about your physicality and your emotional anatomy. But through that, you actually learn about the anatomy, of, emotional anatomy of everything. Um, but you start with your physical body um, because it's, it's where you're at generally to to work from. So, awesome. Yeah, simple to to get in touch with um, yeah. website to. Cool. You know, I love the way. Um, yeah, first of all, thank you so much for for sharing, for expressing. Um, I love the simplicity and the and the and the groundedness of um, your language, your tools, your perceptions. Um, I think it's a really important part of kind of like demystifying um this this process of growth so so thank you for bringing this uh, this into the world chris oh thank you very much for having me here today to have a chat about it i love to chat about it and i um, love to just you know i thank you for being someone who's listened to yourself um and you know gone to the effort to create this whole flow state platform where people like myself can you know have these conversations it's amazing Awesome, brother. Well, I look forward yeah. to our um, next camp out. Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Um, yeah, really great to have that long, deep, nourishing, illuminating conversation with Chris Knight, a guy who's obviously gone very deeply into the work that he does. Yeah, I can't wait to, to learn with him, to, to, to train with him, to understand more about emotional anatomy and learn how to read my body and, and just develop, learn to use it as a map of my consciousness. I'm very excited about that. 
Um, be awesome if you want to do some training with him and you're based in Australia, check out um, the resources that we um, that we spoke about. Um, Google him, Emotional Anatomy, Chris Knight, um, soulspace.com.au. Um, if you are a person on a path of self-development and you're looking for a, a tribe to be part of, if you yeah, want the inspiration, accountability, long, tools, deep, techniques, just like all the awesomeness of being part of a community of high consciousness obviously and very deep flow tribe work that he does is what we've created. Yeah, I can't uh, wait to, like to learn you. with him, so it's, um, to, to, to train with him, to understand more about emotional anatomy um, and, and I hope learn how to read my body and just learn to use it as a map of my consciousness. I'm very excited about that. Um, be awesome if you want to do some training with him and you're based in Australia check out um, the resources that we um, that we spoke about um, google him emotional anatomy chris knight um, soulspace.com.au um, if you are a person on a path of self-development and you're looking for a a tribe to be part of if you want the inspiration accountability tools techniques just like all the awesomeness of being part of a community of higher consciousness then flow tribe is what we've created uh, for people like you. So it's um, you can find it at flowtribe.co, um, and I hope to see you on the inside. This is Jira Taylor, the host of uh, the Flow State Performance Podcast, tuning out. Catch you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.